and welcome to Tires and Swirling Unwired, a daily discussion about business, technology, and current events around the world. Featuring Tim Pyers, a career software, privacy, and mobile communication pro, and Ben Swirling, a leading professional in digital health and healthcare technology. This program is casual and non-rehearsed and may feature occasional guests or recorded interviews. Let's join Jim and Ben now. Hello and welcome to Unwired episode 28 for Thursday, August 20th, 2020. You've entered day 161 of the lockdown. Remember flatten the curve? I'm Jim Pyers under house arrest from FEMA Region 9 in the Hidden Jewel compound in Escondido, California. Appearing again by popular demand, the Enigma himself, my lethal sidekick and doctor of all things connectable, Ben Sperling. Hello, Ben. Hello, Jim, and uh, <laughs> glad to be back. Uh, we got a really fantastic topic tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking about sleep, and uh, I invited somebody I've worked with professionally before in the past uh, as a partner. Uh, he is been in the digital health space since the early 2000s worked for you know top tier names in in uh, medical devices especially sleep you know timely for our topic like resmed uh and now has uh, been appointed since uh 2018 has been the ceo of ectosense um, which is a the world's smallest most convenient and accurate home sleep test it's called night owl and so I'd like to welcome Karen McCork to the to our show. Welcome, Karen. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Jim. It's a great pleasure and honor to be here on your podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation this evening. So thanks for having me. So we've prepped uh, Karen, letting him know that we banter about about all topics. And tonight's going to be sleep. And so Karen, sleep is uh, affects everyone. Um, and the lack of thereof has been certainly been diagnosed or identified as for major health problems uh has a ton of comorbidities or uh other things that happen to you uh health-wise because you don't get a good night's sleep so there's a um sleep apnea which or osa obstructive sleep apnea um affects about i think it's 20 uh 20 million people in the u.s uh today um and so tell me a little bit about your experience karen and 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 working on sleep and what got you into sleep and let's start there great well actually i'm just when you mentioned the topic it brings me back to my childhood i remember in our in ireland uh spending some some evenings and nights with my grandparents in a, on a country farm and my grandfather then was about in his now that i think back then was in his late 70s and I, when he went to bed i used to hear this unbelievable rattle coming from the room and i was like very seven or eight years of age thinking what in the name of god is that and of course i had no idea the man of course was well, was snoring for, for all intents and purposes but it only it was only years later when I heard about sleep apnea and thinking back and it was here was a man who was suffering from this breathing condition where his upper airway was essentially being blocked uh, through age and his and weight typically are some factors and he was 
you know, for many, many years was not breathing correctly every single night, apart from the fact of keeping his poor wife, my grandmother, uh, probably forcing her to go into another room and, and pretty much making everyone's life miserable. He himself, of course, was, was suffering from sleep apnea, which, which was really not really, which was not really diagnosed actually as a condition until, you know, the, the sort of seventies and eighties. So, um, so this condition has been going for many, many years and just through modern, modern science, we were able to, uh, sort of diagnose this. And of course, from that has grown the industry, what we call, you know, the sleep, the sleep industry, which, you know, ranges from the diagnostic piece where I am through to the therapy piece, uh, you know, through to companies like ResMed, Philips, etc. So that's the kind of broad canvas where I came in was really, uh, my background has been in sort of looking at new tech, med tech, and, as, and thank you for, for the kind introduction, by the way, uh, consumer, initially consumer health tech, and then moving into med tech. And I was working for a Unilever spin out, which was really probably the Fitbit of its day, but we didn't know it. And then we got hit with the crash in 2008. And an Irish colleague of mine was just delving into sleep technology. And he, they came up with a very creative um, technology, which was radar-based technology to detect respiration. That was my entry into sleep. And my initial reaction when he mentioned the business to me was, you know, there's no, there's no real business here. I didn't, I just didn't really even then think about sleep. I was, I was more in the activity nutrition space. And, uh, and that was in 2007. And I've been really in that industry ever since. Excellent. So about, you know, about sleep. So you, you got in around 2007. I actually hadn't heard about sleep apnea until probably the 2014 timeframe. I'd never heard the term before. Yeah. And when I started delving into it, I was astonished by how many people, you know, who just go undiagnosed. They don't know about this condition. So there's no diagnosis. They just feel like, just like your grandfather, you know, he snores, he snores loud. Right. Um, and so you said you've kind of got into the diagnosis side, which is helping people, you know, realize they have a condition. So tell us about kind of that process about getting in, helping people that don't know they have it. So, yes, I mean, you're right. And Ben, I, I, from my recollection, I, I do believe you, you, you are, correct me if I'm wrong, but you suffered from sleep apnea yourself. I, I do remember that going back. Um, yes. That's exactly right. And that's why this is, this is actually a really fun, you know, fun and, and important topic to me from the perspective of, so I was diagnosed in 2014. That's when I first, you know, yeah. I was, you know, I was a snorer and, um, you know, basically my wife would have to get to sleep before me so she could get a good night's sleep. So if she got to sleep first, no problem. Now, if she was unlucky and I fell asleep first, you know, she had problems falling asleep. And one night or one morning, the next morning, she said, you know, you, you're gasping for breath in the middle of the night. Like you're, you're stopped breathing. Like you need to go see somebody. And that, so I, I went to, actually I was working for Qualcomm at the time and I went to the Qualcomm uh, clinic and they gave me, they wanted me to go to a sleep, you know, lab per se. And I said, no, no, I don't want to do that. And they diagnosed a sleep, home sleep test. Right. And so this is so i've experienced it now and, I'll, and I'll, I'll jump in with my experience but i want to learn about like when you first got into it what it looked like how many wires uh, and what it's evolved to today 
Yeah, so I kind of came at it very unconventionally because most people in the sleep industry come through the traditional pathway of the, you know, the med the medical space where, you know, initially it's the, it's the lab, it's the sleep lab, which was the backbone of this industry going back to the 70s when people discovered that just having a, a you know, a, snor a snoring condition or having this rattle, would, it, you need to do something about it. You couldn't because there were health implications. This whole um, revelation occurred in the 70s and, and the, really the 80s with the advent of, honestly, Peter Farrell and ResMed. And I can talk about that because that's a big part of the story because they were the ones that really kind of opened up this, uh, this, this whole industry. And of course, Respironics, so we have to give credit to them as well in, in, in Pittsburgh. But I think um, by really revealing the health implications of this, uh, this breathing that I mean, if you, if you st stand back and think about it, what's really happening is where you're breathing, you're not really breathing correctly. Um, and uh, you have, you have, this, you have um, this blockage and your body is not getting the full oxygen it, oxygen it needs uh, in order to, to thrive. Um, so when I got into sleep, I was really coming at it from the innovation perspective, not the traditional pathway of coming through labs to home sleep test, uh, home, the home sleep test market, which was the kind of e evolution of that particular industry, the diagnostic industry. So I can't kind of came in a, the wrong way around, so to speak. I came in saying, here's the future of diagnostics. Uh, it's this particular device, this particular technology. And um, when, when did, when did like the home test come on the scene? Cause I'd always heard like, it's go to a lab, right? Uh, like did ResMed or, or who, who kind of created kind of the, the first home test? So I think when well, you're going back to, you, you, I actually can't remember the name of the company, but you, in fact, I, I met a Dr. Capolo who works for, um, for Novasom, now, now bought by Bioserenity. And he showed me one of the very first home seat test reports, which was a paper-based report. Um, so I'm not sure the actual, I don't know the name of the company that went, looked at the lab and said, look, we can, you know, we can go from the lab to the home, but the main players were obviously Philips, uh, Resume with the Apnea Link. You have uh, also got CompuMedics. You have Cleve, uh, Cleve uh, not Cleve Med. Uh, uh, sorry, I'll come back to that one. I can't remember the other company. But you have a lot of companies that started in um, seeing the advantage of taking patients out of the lab and bringing them to the home, and that was a kind of if you look at the evolution of the diagnostic piece, so if we, if we divide the industry between the diagnostics and the therapy, and that's kind of how the world it breaks down, the most of the diagnostics happened in that happened in the lab. So that you had this this growth of the sleep labs, which um, happened, I think, in really the eighties and nineties, and then home sleep testing started taking over. Sort of in the nineties, started like moving in with really ResMed and Philips, I would say, are the main drivers and uh, creating, and, and I should say, sorry, Knox, Knox Medical in Iceland is a big, big player. Iceland is actually a fascinating country when it comes to sleep. They, they've done a huge amount of innovation in this area. And Knox Medical is in Blatter, we're, we're old companies in that space. So then we moved into the, the, the era of the home sleep test. And now I, would, I think we're in the third kind of evolution. And we can talk about that later where, where we sit today. Okay. Yeah, no, I think, so when I had my home home test, Karen, it was, 
it was pretty not invasive and i mean i was glad i wasn't having to go to a hotel or a sleep lab to, to do it right um but there was a lot of wires to it right it was this you know you know iphone looking thing thickness wise that would strap to my tet my my chest you know i had you know something that went on my finger right you know i had a uh, one of those things that went in my nasal passages so they could measure my rest, you know, the, the output, I guess, of my breathing. Cannula. They call it a cannula. The yeah. cannula, right? And uh, yeah, it was, I mean, I got wrapped up after several hours of sleep in that thing, right? And so I was wondering if they were even able to get the data. Now, mine turned out really poor. So I was on the severe side, 50 apneas an hour. So which, which, which really means, at least my understanding is that I stopped breathing 50 times an hour and some of my uh some of my blockage per se uh, or my stop breathing would last over 30 seconds right so i was having severe blockage and you know putting stress on a lot of my organs and when you know i i was i was 44 at the time or early 40s and i remember the doctor talking to me about what all could happen like early onset of alzheimer's heart attack stroke depression headaches i mean it was so severe i'm like i i have to i want to be around for my kids so i got to do something um and then it got into the therapy therapy piece and obviously you work for one of the the two big players in the space with resmed and i you know had a resmed cpap at my side and i elected that that wasn't the route I wanted to go long-term, but I was going to be compliant until I found a solution. So I'd love to ask you um, from a perspective, obviously you've been on the diagnostic side, but how, you know, how much, how hand in hand do the vendors, I mean, obviously there's some cross-pollination, but how hand in hand do the, do the diagnostic folks work with, you know, the pure play vendors in the therapy space? So before I answer that directly, I just wanted to just uh, come back on your story about your 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 lab experience. Sorry, your home sleep test experience. Um, and first of all, uh, I I don't have an apnea problem, but I have a, a story to tell you because I was running a trial here locally in South Florida for uh, to validate our our the Ectosense Night Owl, and as part of that, we were comparing our home sleep test with the what's called PSG, polysonography, which is the lab-based test. So I did have the experience of actually sleeping in a lab because I subjected myself as a, uh, to, be a, to be a subject in the, in the trial. And that was even more uncomfortable than the one that you actually experienced yourself. But um, I, think I, I think I slept three hours at night, which is technically <laughs> is a, the failed test. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, yeah, in, in terms of how, your question about how we work together. So you have, it's interesting. So, if you if you get into the the, the sort of minutia of the of the industry, it's quite fascinating because you have the big players are you know the therapy players. So that's what you know we could talk about Resmed and Philips being the, the kind of Coke and Pepsi, I would say, of the industry. But both those players have a diagnostic. So they both have um, now Philips would be more prevalent in the labs and more. You know, probably was you know probably has a longer pedigree because of it's just it's you know it's it's uh, been around for many more years in terms of the diagnostic piece. Um, so they work 
you know, one company can be on both sides, but then you have just the diagnostic players and there tend to be smaller, smaller companies uh, that, uh, that play in that space. And you have, for example, Itamar, the Israeli, it's a publicly traded company. Uh, you have um, Novus uh, Bioserenity or Novus Sons. There's a number of players that, in that space that, uh, but that's the, it's the, it's the least attractive part of the spectrum, shall we say, from a, from a financial perspective. There are no $20 billion uh, market cap diagnostic players, just like that. So let me, let's, let's talk about Night Owl. Let's talk about your product, right? Well, well I, Ben, you know, ben let, me, um, let, let me interject something. So, because you mentioned polysonography, Kieran, I wanted to kind of jump into that. And since Ben had the test years ago with the, um, you know, all the wires and, you know, not, not, a, not a great solution. I, I was at, I'm actually helping a company, you know, you might be familiar with them. It's an early stage sleep company and they're called Dream. And yes, no dream. yeah, and so Dream has a really interesting product and I was able to participate in like a, a 10 day, uh, maybe a pilot is, is a good word or just a trial. And so I was able to use the product, and and of course they're claiming that most of the um, let's say parameters, characteristics, the multivariate tests that you get out of a you know um, one of these PSG tests, um, which usually requires yeah you're in a lab and you're connected up to all kinds of stuff, they're able to get with it's it's like a it's a piece of headgear. It's the best way I could describe it. And you know you have to wear it when you sleep. So, like anything you wear when you sleep, uh, you know even even uh, small devices can be cumbersome. You know we we worked a lot on trying to you know measure vitals and things during sleep with wearables, wrist worn wearables, or rings or things you wear on your head. This very it's very challenging for people to um, do these things while they're sleeping. So I'm I'm interested you know, what you think about that. But I was able to go through and I wanted to give you just a couple of, you know, signals that I got and just see what you think. Um, one of them was real interesting. So each day, you know, in the morning, you, you get a report from the night before and it gives you information about your efficiency, you know, how long it took you to go to sleep, um, how many times you woke up, um, what was the duration of those awakenings? Um, you get to add in some personal information like how do you feel? Um, and, and it gives you some data about your sleep schedule and how close you are to being you know, consistent. I, I typically have a very poor sleep schedule because I some nights I go to bed early and some nights at three in the morning. And so I'm, I'm not a very good um, I'm not on a very good schedule which uh, which I guess is not a good thing for, for getting good sleep. But and, and, it, and it goes through the stages. So it takes you through, you know, your deep sleep, your REM sleep, your light sleep and so forth. And so I was kind of curious, um, well, if you know about these kinds of products or this particular product and how that relates to what your product does. And also what's the most what are the most important things in your view um, of those pieces of information? Because 
you know, a lot of it, you know, you wear the band, so it's it's doing a lot of diagnostics, uh, your oxygen saturation, it's you know taking your pulse, it's doing a bunch of things, and what what really uh, you know your heart rate and your breathing rate, all those kind of things. What are the most important things from your perspective, and what what do you guys focus on? So that so uh, just to speak about Dream for a second, it's an excellent company, and actually. French company, uh, it's gotten quite a lot of attention and I know that I've met the guys and um, in fact, you know, we're, we're actually a Belgian company, so we're kind of neighbors in a way, but they have really focused on the brain. So they focused on EEG, um, which are the brain brainwave signals. And we should actually acknowledge uh, in this, in this um, podcast, we should acknowledge um, the, the the lifelong uh, work of, of Professor William Demand who passed away si- sadly in the last couple of um, just in the last month or so and William Demand from Stanford essentially created sleep medicine and he he went he was a remarkable man and um, he did tremendous early work on uh, EEG and brainwaves and looking at sleep and did a lot of the great experiments going back to the, I believe the 50s and 60s. So uh, we, you know, probably most of the industry owes him a great, a great debt of gratitude. Well, I'll make, uh, I'll make sure that we put, um, you know, his, a link probably to his Wikipedia or, you know, to the yes. Stanford webpage yeah. so that people know who he is. And, yeah. um, and actually that's, make, a, that's yeah. you know, that's, um, yeah, so he, he's, uh, and, he, and he's also, you know, I think I was a great Californian. So, um, so he, the dream product is, is, a, is a fascinating product. I, I like what, the, what they're doing. And actually there is some really interesting research around brain and apnea, brainwaves and apnea. And uh, for example, um, there's some, you know, some leading academics that are working in that field. So you can pick up the sort of stress signals um, at, the brain, at the brain level uh, when the you know when the breathing is being interrupted, it makes it makes sense uh, if you think about it. But uh, the so they're, they're doing they're doing some really interesting work. I mean, to really get a true picture of how you're sleeping, uh, by that we mean uh, your stages of sleep, the uh, non-REM stages, and then of course your REM sleep, and those those cycles as you sleep through the night. You really, you really do need EEG. You need those those brainwaves. Now, the, the the way those signals are typically picked up in a lab uh, or with a home sleep device, certain home sleep device that look at EEG. Uh, there's another Californian company, a, a good friend of, of mine, uh, Advanced Brain Monitoring. Uh, Dan Dan Lewandowski is doing some really good great work out there in California as well, uh, looking at insomnia using uh, using EEG. So, uh, but the dream have taken it to a sort of more of a consumer level. They've kept on the, the sort of consumer side of the of the the line, and that's really the sort of that's the real barrier, or the real sorry, not just so much barrier, but that's the distinction between those that are, shall we say, uh, medically, uh, you know, can only be used by healthcare professionals, have you know, have to go through that uh, and, and stay in that side, and those that are selling for $399 and giving feedback to the to the users themselves, which is what Dream is doing. And by the way, they, I mean, they could be a medical device. That's an excellent device, but they've chosen to be more on the consumer. And in fact, some of the discussions that we're having with them concern whether they're pick, 
you know, they're picking up certain uh, patients, or sorry, well, they're not really patients at that point, they're, they're consumers that probably need some, uh, need to be diagnosed to see if they have the, the, the sleep apnea, which Ben described earlier. So, um, so I, 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 I like- uh, Yeah, you bring, you bring up a great point there. Um, it is the wearable, you know, that you wear on your head. I mean, all things considered, they've done a great job on that. It's very difficult to, especially to wear something on your head while you're sleeping. You know, Ben has experience, I think, wearing the mask. You know, you worked at ResMed where you wear the mask at night to support the breathing um, function. But th- I, I got to say that, it, you know, I, what, what I w- my feedback was I definitely could wear it for some period of time, um, you know, which would allow you to, you know, to do a diagnosis and collect some valuable data, let's say over some period of weeks or days or, you know, maybe even months. But I think wearing it every day, you know, if that was going to be sort of my treatment, it would, it would be tough. And so even though it's really well designed, um, I, and I, I was just looking on your website and looking at the OWL, can you contrast, you know, the OWL seems to be a, a very small sensor. Help, help us understand how that works and sure. and uh, how that co- sort of, because, you know, I'm, I'm grounded in what I know, which is this, this dream product, but uh, how, how do you but, contrast what they do and, and how they, yeah, so to, yeah. to re, to, just to reiterate, so they're focused on the brain and focused really, I would say, on insomnia. So there's a huge percentage of the population have sleep, you know, suffering from sleep deprivation. And of course, yeah. recent research saying during COVID that we're sleeping a little bit differently as well and some stress, some stress points around, we may actually be sleeping spending longer in bed because we're not commuting actually but the sleep quality is not necessarily uh, as good which is interesting because you know people maybe are, are are obviously concerned about what's going on but so I, I think of them on the consumer side but with medical potential shall we say and they could easily be on the medical side um, although there's obviously the challenge of the regulatory challenge we're on the on the other hand Ectrosense and the NIDAL we set out very clearly from the beginning to be a medical device. What we set out to do was to really harness the technology that exists in 2020, which really had been ignored by a lot of the device manufacturers, and compress use that use that technology to compress the device to a small form factor to make it comfortable for the patient to wear. And that's a key part of our, our of our uh, sort of benefit. Um, and in addition to that, uh, make it easy for the provider, the doctor, to to prescribe and onboard the patient. And we did this by creating this finger sensor, uh, which can sits on the sits on the fingertip and records or records certain signals from the finger, which I can talk about in in uh, later. And those signals are. Through, the, through that recording, we take those signals, we put it connected to the smartphone, we transmit the data to the smartphone. So we don't do any processing on the device itself, uh, which is key to keeping the form factor small and making it comfortable. So we really had the patient at the center of this entire vision of creating the most convenient, the, the most comfortable, 
um, sleep apnea diagnostic device. Uh, we were able to do this because Bluetooth has come so far, cloud has come so far, smartphones have come so far, microelectronics have come so far, that we're able to really leverage all those things, make the device as unobtrusive as possible, get that data from the, the those biosignals from the finger into the smartphone, up to the cloud for, di for where, where the actual algorithms rest and where the processing and diagnostics are, uh, or sorry, the processing is done, the algorithms run, and where we are able to essentially then deliver a report uh, to the physician in the morning without um, the device having to be returned back. So we've, we've kind of created this very nice ecosystem uh, with, the, with, the, with the device being, you know, the, the size of the device being crucial to our, to our value proposition. So, so Karen, is this, so I had all the wires. I'm looking at your website, looking at the picture of it. This looks pretty small, right? I mean, it looks like maybe two quarters stacked, maybe three quarters at best stacked on top of each other, right? In size. And then it looks like almost like a bandage that's you're, you're affixing it to the tip of your finger. Like, is that recording the same or different type of data than what I did in 2014? Okay, so six great, great question, Ben. So essentially, think of it this way. I think, think of it in the three stages. So the first stage is the lab with 24 channels, including EEG, EOG, EMG, which are all these electrical signals for the brain, the eyes, and then you have the chest valve looking at your respiration. You have the cannula for your mouth, or for your for your nose, sorry, looking at the actual um, breathing rate, etc. And then you have the pulse oximetry, so which is looking at your. So what happens? This is an important point. When you when you have an apnea event, one of the key things that happens is, and it makes sense, if you're stopping to breathe for 10, 15, 20 seconds, which is you know when that apnea happens, and when you have that choking sensation, which you, you're so familiar with, uh, essentially what's happening is your blood oxygen levels are going down. So the pulse oximeter essentially can determine that as you know that that key metric. So you will always have a you will always have that in pretty much every every device. So we looked at that and we we looked at what's called the photoplethysmography, uh, the PPG wave, which is the essentially the signal where the SPO2 uh, where we where you extract the SPO2. And we also um, looked at a looked at a thing called a concept called vasoconstriction. So what happens is, essentially, if I can explain what ha what happens in an apnea and how we, I mean, the question is, how can we do this from just a finger? That's yeah. really there's no there's no chest band, there's no cannula. How how could we possibly do that? And that's the question people ask us all the time. So how we do it is we 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 have a number of sensors inside that tiny space, but we're able to look at this pleth wave. And what are, we, what are we looking at? We're looking at um, what happens to the body when an apnea event occurs. And what the engineers saw and the founders of Ectosense saw, uh, Frederick and uh, Frederick Massey and, and Bart Bampei, um, they saw that when you have, you have a thing called sympathetic activation, essentially the body has a sort of a, a gets a sort of a, it goes into a mini shock every time there's, a, there's a, an apnea event. And yep. that changes a number of things at the periphery. So at the periphery being the finger, um, or, or it can be the ear, but typically the fingertip. And because you're getting a very clear picture of what's happening at the vascular level at the finger. 
And when you look at that, when you send that light signal into the finger and it comes back, you can see a couple of things. One thing you see is that you see whether the oxygen levels have dipped, that's the SpO2. You can see that from the hemoglobin and the different reflections. And that, that's, that, that technology has been around for many, many years. Obviously, pulse symmetry has been, is the bedrock of this. And then we also see this change in the pleth wave, which is indicative of a sympathetic activation, indicative of essentially an event happening, which is triggering this change in the pleth wave. Plus you have this, we're also picking up heart rate. So we're looking at the pulse rate. You have the change in the, you have the, change in the volume triggered by the sympathetic activation. The, you have the dip in the SpO2 and you have this spike in heart rate. And those kind of three things are in, indicative of an event. And um, we also have an accelerometer in there, believe it or not, in that tiny, it's essentially the size of, of, a, of, a, of a thimble. Um, and the accelerometer picks up the sleep time and the movement. And the other, the, the light uh, sensor picks up these other, these other uh, parameters, as I mentioned. And what you do then is when all that data is fired up to the cloud, of course, the, the beauty of these algorithms that these, um, these smart folks in Belgium have created is they essentially look at these signals over, you know, they, they look at them over millions of sets of data and they compare them to the gold standard, which is the PSG. And they say, so, and they just train the algorithms to reflect essentially what a PSG would call, you know, apnea, hypopnea, apnea, hypopnea, et cetera, you know, SPO2 down. And over time, you get this wonderful ability to synchronize the data with gold standard PSG without the necessity of having all the channels. Now, of course, we also record REM sleep and we record sleep time through the accelerometer. Um, it's never going to be as perfect as EEG, but we, we have to do that for regulatory purposes. Um, but essentially, when it comes down to apnea, uh, sorry, I should finish the story by saying we then did a clinical studies. So that, of course, you cannot get FDA approval unless you get clinical studies. So we then, we, we ran number of uh, studies we published in the Journal of Clinical Seatbelt showing a, an accuracy rate, a correl correlation with PSG of about 91% and accuracy rate of over 70%. So we're, by reducing all these, um, uh, the, the paraphernalia of a, of, a, of a PSG, we're still able to get a really high correlation with what PSG does for a fraction of the cost in your home and what i want to talk about when you get me when you wish to introduce the topic is we actually have developed a disposable version of the product which i haven't spoken about well first off i, I gotta say it's like i'm looking at it and going it's it is the least intimidating device <laughs> you could possibly get i mean it's it's like you're putting your you're putting your finger on a stack of quarters and wrapping it up and then you're getting all this data that and I'm a sensor geek and people who listen to the podcast know this already, but that's awesome. Um, just of, of what's packed into that very small footprint. Now, how many nights is your, is the night owl typically used? So like I had to do mine for two nights. Yes. What is the typical for y'all? That's a great question. So there's so many dynamics in this industry you have, it's, it's fascinating, but essentially we actually, because of the beauty of our device, and I have to give credit to the Belgians for, I mean, I call it the, the praline because it looks like a Belgian chocolate, but the design of the device and the design of the, 
the you know just everything the packaging everything is 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 outstanding and the user experience on the app is is remarkable but the essentially um we because of the convenience of the device we actually encourage multi-night testing and the reason we do that is there's some very strong scientific evidence coming out of many many quarters but most interestingly from dr professor wang in um over in california uh who's who's uh in stanford who's doing some remarkable research and essentially has set out the hypothesis that having three two three nights of home seat testing on a, a device that's convenient and, and I'm, we're not the only convenient device out there but we're certainly the most convenient and the most comfortable and is better than a one night PSG. Okay. Uh, why is that? Because like the body, everybody has good night's sleep, bad night's sleep. Everybody, uh, everybody uh, moves in the bed. Sometimes, for example, if you sleep uh, supine, um, uh, if you sleep prone, if you sleep on your side, that, that affects the, um, the apnea hypotenuse, the, the number of events you have per hour. So, the having a multi-night is 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 really interesting because we can end up actually being more accurate than a PSG because people are getting a better picture of what's happening in real life. Because after all, you're not going to sleep in, in a lab; you're going to sleep at home. Right, and 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 your conditions can be different. I mean, your 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 room can be too hot one night or too cold, or or you may have a sports injury and you're you're laying different one night, right? So. So we, we, we are a great proponent of multi-night testing. Now, just to be clear, the system, you know, we, we, don't, we haven't spoken about reimbursement. We haven't spoken about the industry too much and how, you know, that's a big, big topic. You know, this uh, $30 billion industry, uh, sometimes called, uh, uh, you know, in terms of the, both the, the testing, the surgery and the, and the treatment. Um, I think, um, there are certain payers that will pay just one night. But what most good practitioners do is they advise two nights, not just, but what, really because in order to get paid, you have to have a minimum of four hours of good recording. So you okay. need that four hour threshold. So that's kind of driving, like, you know, money drives a lot, right? So that's- Sure, sure. That's and so is, your, is yours, a, is, is that typically your channel is you're selling, you know, your doctors are prescribing this and you're getting reimbursed or? Yeah, so first of all, um, it's, you know, being based in Europe has got tremendous advantages because, of course, there's more than one health system out there. There's the, there's the, but everybody wants to crack the US. And that's where, you know, that's where I've been able to help the company in, in a way because they, you know, I have a foot in both camps. But in, for example, it's a very ironic in Europe, uh, for example, in Belgium, they don't recognize any home sleep testing. They just, they're, they're so entrenched in their ways. Everybody needs to go to a lab. They have like six months waiting this, 10 months waiting, waiting this, but it, it's, it's on the state. You know, it's, it's pretty much free because, you know, it's, it's for want of a better term, it's socialized medicine or it's a one payer system. Um, of course, there's insurance as well. Uh, so different markets have different uh, dynamics. The Netherlands is very, a very fascinating market. It has, it has more insurance and more, um, it's driven by, by, by pairs more, but also is a very good state system. But in the U.S., the key in the U.S. is um, the question, the big question is, are you reimbursed? Are you reimbursable? And um, I need to 
give credit to uh, Itamar in, is an Israeli company that set out to create this test that didn't require the cannula and the belt and looked at this, what's called peripheral arterial tonometry. And they fought for a code and they, this, so this code is, you know, CPT code, which means that if you use this technology, you can actually be reimbursed. And that, otherwise, of course, the doctors will, they may love your, they may love the look of your device, but they're never going to use it. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and you mentioned that you have a disposable version of your yeah. device, which especially in today's pandemic COVID days sounds even more appealing. Well, that's a really, I'm glad, so glad you mentioned that because this is, this is, uh, this is my, I'm claiming my attaboy moment here because, <laughs> but I, I would encourage you actually to go to, actually, we have a, just launched our new website, nightowl.care, actually, dot C-A-R-E. Yep, which, I'm on it. Yep. Yeah, which you can show. So essentially, um, about a year and a, you know, I'm with the company two years and I created, we had our, what do we, we now call our night owl reusable, or NOR, which is the one you see in, in typically in the pictures that's the one that goes out and you send back because and we looked at this thing and we said you know we need to really just so we need to take a couple of the expensive components out of it we need to create a, a version two that can just if we make it sufficiently inexpensively and manufacture we can leave it with the patient and we and we can so we set out almost we didn't have, really even have the the money for it we didn't necessarily have the board approval for it we set out this skunk works and we i we hired a really old friend of mine i used to work for in uh we used to work with him in resmed who um helped us uh engineer it and uh we created this uh, we call the disposable device we took a big gamble and that was you know a year before COVID. and we and we then when COVID hit suddenly it was like okay so you have a device that's you know, relatively inexpensive compared to other devices. It's got the same, you know, the same clinical accuracy as the as our reusable, and it doesn't have to. It can only go one way because it doesn't have to come back. And that, of course, fits the bill today. So that's where we are today. We're we're really pushing this reusable and or sorry, this disposable, uh, both the Nidal Mini, and uh, we're getting quite a lot of interest in, in the U.S. Uh, and other markets at the moment. Well, I mean, I've, I've looked through the workflow on, on just any home medical device, and especially in the returns, whether it's an RMA or, or, or if it's got to be come back, and it's got to be cleaned and then processed and maybe decoupled from somebody, uh, there's a cost to it. So yes. disposable is certainly if you can get the price point down it's it's a nice really nice option as long as you're getting the same amount in the same data right the same quality of data yes and of course because, so let me explain one thing just to be really clear so we're the this is you know we talk about world world first okay because we like to, as startups it's always nice but, yeah, of but course. We, we genuinely are the world's first multi-night disposable so there is another company out there that's just single night and uh, we do this, we have this, this, this device, what we, what we stripped away from the other device, we stripped away memory and the rechargeable uh, battery and we changed the form factor. And so this device can do 100 hours of recording. So this device can stay with the patient uh, from up to maybe five years. And you can get up to 14 nights of testing without the device ever having to be returned. It's pretty impressive, that's awesome. Yeah. So like, you know, I'm going to switch on you just a little bit, just because we talked about stages. So it's maybe switching back. We talked about sleep stages. 
right? And look, I mean, since I, you know, I was diagnosed um, with sleep apnea, I started to like, what, you know, what are these different stages of sleep and, and how much time should I spend in each one of these stages, right? The average Joe or Jane consumer does not know that data. Like how often they should be in light sleep or deep sleep or REM, right? Yes. And, you know, even the wearables vendors don't, you know, the, you know, the Fitbits and the, you know, the well, Apple doesn't really even do sleep tracking, but um, don't really give you good data on it. They're kind of like, hey, you have a sleep score of whatever, but what does that mean to me, right? And, you know, what, what can I really do to improve? That's where I feel like this some come lacking. So I just, I recently got a Garmin Phoenix 6 watch, right? And one of the things that, you know, I, they have really, you know, Garmin has what I believe is some very good sensors. Um, and they also have pulse ox at night. So it's measuring pulse ox all night long for me. That's right. And so that's from I'm the wrist. Kind of, it's on the wrist. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of interesting because, you know, I like that, you know, I, I've done it for, you know, I've had pulse ox going all day and then I've now just switched it just to all, just night to, to save battery life. But, um, you know, pretty, pretty interesting that, you know, there's a lot more data, but the one thing they really don't tell me is, Hey, tonight, I mean, although they say you only spent this amount in RAM or you spent this amount in deep sleep, they're saying is based off of what you put in your profile, that's not good enough right they're not they're not prescriptive in that way at all and, and none of the vendors are that that i know of i have not seen a, a good app that does that you know well ben we let, let me give you one example i think you guys will like this you can you you can tear me apart so uh, and i'd be interested for both of your opinions on like what some of these things might mean so one of the nights i'm looking at uh, that I did during this test. And the app is really nice in Dream. You know, it, it does help you break down and it does give you some information about, you know, whether or not you're sleeping well. Again, a lot of it's subjective in some ways, but so I, and this night I slept uh, six hours and 24 minutes. So it gives me the, the total, the sleep duration. It says my efficiency was 84%. Now, that sounds good, but I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if you're like in pulse oximetry, you know, it's <laughs> 84 would be, you know, really bad. But, um, you know, so I, I'm looking at that thinking, oh, that's not too bad. And then it tells me how long it took me to go to sleep, which was 21 minutes. That's not too bad. And I woke up five times in that six and a half hours. That seems like a lot to me, but I'm not sure. And then, um, but with, of all five times in total, I was awake for 26 minutes. So kind of like roughly five minutes a pop. And uh, yeah, so there's, those are a few uh, of the characteristics. What do you guys think of that? Is that? Does that make sense to you guys? Is that helpful? You guys know a lot about sleep. How, how, would, how should I read that? You're getting, like honestly with the dream, so my, my view would be the following, the dream is the best thing out there if you want to know your REM, non-REM stage, you know, stages of sleep and uh, wakefulness, restlessness, 
that sort of insomnia, if you're in, if you're leaning towards insomnia and you're trying to work out, for example, one of the one of the things about insomnia that's well known is they tend to underestimate dramatically the amount of sleep they get. They they, they say I slept for thirty minutes last night, and then, and uh, <laughs> you know having something like the yeah. dream that proves them that you know you actually slept for four hours. You know you you just you genuinely your brain shut down. You were you were in REM sleep. You were dreaming. You thought you're because we get confused at night. So there's a tremendous tremendous um, advantages, but the, the wrist-wearing devices are always going to be surrogates of the, the EEG. Uh, so you're never going to, Fitbit will, you know, Fitbit's never going to tell you, uh, that can never really tell you that much about REM and non-REM and stages of sleep. I mean, look, we, we, we do REM through, we're looking at heart rate. There's ways of doing it, but in the end of the day, if you're really into the quality of the data, you need, probably need the EEG. Well, here's so, a couple. Yeah. Here's a couple stage d data points for you then, because that'll help you kind of think about this. So, one, it says I had 45 minutes of deep sleep, which was 10% of the of the night, and then my REM was one hour and 44 minutes, 23%, and then my light sleep was about four hours, which was half, and then what's the last one? And I was awake for an hour of that sleep, so 17%. Okay. So that's that's you know just I, I think it's it's really interesting how detailed those stages are. Yeah, but we need to you need to understand like, what's the significance of that. So for example, right. do you understand you know REM sleep happens toward tends to grow in periods towards the towards the morning. So the yeah. REM you know you're going through these cycles stage one stage two stage three REM uh, or sometimes stage four whatever and then REM then back up again. Then you know, and changes through the different cycles, and the REM is when you're dreaming, and when your brain is. That's why you remember your dreams because it's closer to when you wake up. You know, if you do remember your dreams, it's because you just come out of REM, yeah. things like that. But, but there's that. What does that really tell you, though, from a health perspective? Does it tell you? Does it tell you you're under stress? No. Does it tell? Because what's happening in sleep is you're essentially sleep is about restoring the, the it's restoring the body and the mind so you can get up the next day and face you know, face another day. And if you don't, if you don't shut down properly and don't process those, those, um, they, you know, those, all that brain activity and shut it down in the appropriate way, then you're going to be more stressed. Your immune system can, can be uh, depressed. You, you know, you, you can, you know, if you less sleep, you may eat more because you're, you know, there's all sorts of research around uh, light sleep and, and hunger and, you know, heart, you know, it can have effect on your heart. There's all these health conditions aside from apnea that relate to just sleep quality. And apnea is just one of them, which is, of course, linked to cardiovascular disease, hypertension, etc. cetera. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a minefield in one sense. And I feel uh, we're only at the beginning of this. As, as Mick Farrell always says, the CEO of Resume says, you know, it's a marathon and we're just tying our shoelaces. I mean, if Resume is just tying its shoelaces with its market cap now, I don't know what it's going to be like when the marathon's over. But... Um, but certainly, um, it's a it, it, it's a fascinating subject, and I, I think we still don't really know. I still don't, I still don't think the industry is doing a great job at really explaining, you know, linking these 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 data to the health. Uh, you know, what's what's the impact on health over time? I agree. I, I I mean, and and I feel like I'm paying attention a heck of a lot more since 2014, and I don't feel they, they're throwing data at people consumers 
and they're not giving him enough contacts, enough, you know, advice to it, right? Nobody's stepping up uh, to really take so, the lead in this area. Yeah, I mean, I think are you are you a, are you a, you're a CPAP still using CPAP, right? I know you're, you're I'm not. No, so yeah, so for my journey, I went yes, aggressive, right? Yeah. So I had I went around and I. Um, the doctor, you know, I was like, what's some solutions? And uh, there was a operation called U triple P. That's um, right. Where, where they basically, it's like a facelift for your mouth. Uh, it's like they, they're taking all your tissue and pulling it and then kind of stapling or suturing it to the, to the top of your mouth. So you get this wider opening, it seems like. Um, and it had, at that time, I don't know if it's improved, but it had like a 20 to 25% success rate. And I spoke to some people and it was not the most comfortable recovery. Um, and I'm like, this can't be it. So I ended up posting my, you know, my question to Facebook, right? Um, and a friend of mine who's an orthodontist, uh, Dr. Paul Uppathum, he, he Liberty Station orthodontist here in Point Loma uh, in San Diego. Uh, he got back to me, it's like, I talked to him, he, you know, suggested, you know, a, you know, a mendicular advancement. Yes. And, and, uh, you know, let's just call that the more aggressive <laughs> way, but it has a much, much higher success rate in the 70 plus percentage. And I went through a process where they actually did a scan of like, you know, from my neck up and they realized that it wasn't a weight or a, like a saggy palate type of problem. It was more of my throat wasn't, you know, I, I had blockage lower in my throat. So I'd always had a compressed airway. So they needed to open my airway. And the way they did it was advancing my jaw 11 millimeters uh, forward. And so they broke both jaws uh, and basically wow. pulled it out 11 millimeters. And so, so they opened my airway. So they, but you, you, do you still need an MR a mandibular de device or you? Or no. So that's, you know, so basically they've broken it and they've advanced it and reset my jaw. So I do not have, I never wore a, you know, like a mandicular device, like a, like a insert or whatever, a retainer. I didn't have to have that. Um, and I no longer use a CPAP. Well, Ben, you were literally like in the 0.01% of, of, uh, of those who perceive therapy. I mean, essentially, and so I, I mean, full credit to you for going through that. That's a remarkable and quite a, from what I understand, a fairly painful. Um, so you did, you did two. You had the U. You well, had so the, I didn't do the U triple P. Oh, you didn't. So you went, I, let, I, 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 it just something about it. So I went and got some more. I got a second and a third opinion. And it's, and it's worked for you. And um, it's worked for me. Now, what they do say about it is, is, hey, when you get older, you know, it's, it, you know, you're, it's probably going to become less and less effective, right? But again, so, I was in my early 40s when I, when I had this, and I was traveling, and, you know, as much as ResMed's doing their thing and Philips is doing their thing on, on CPAPs, um, you know, when you're rolling over in your sleep and the, the mass cracks a little bit and you get, you know, air blowing up in your face, um, it interrupts your sleep too, right? And it's obviously not the most attractive thing. Now, I will say though, the 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 year and a half that I had that CPAP, I was 100% compliant. Other than two trips where I had a 
Uh, I forgot it on one trip, which is unbelievable. And I was going to the mountains. So it was a, a very bad sleep experience. And the other one was a part broke on my device. So I couldn't use it. But other than that, I was 100% compliant. And you and you, you you saw the effects. I mean, look. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually it was interesting because I had a Fitbit when I went up to the mountains that one time. I think we were in Park City, and when I forgot my CPAP, and I'm watching. You know, I looked at my my sleep, and it was deplorable. The numbers that Fitbit came up with, right? And then I showed the night after I got home, and then had you know my CPAP again. So as much as I hated it, I was compliant because I knew that it, that was the therapy until I got something different, right? And so, so let, me just, let me just frame your your like your as I said, you are on this very very small percentage of people. I mean, essentially, just to speak about therapy briefly. Briefly, so you know the CPAP dominates, right? That's the big yes. driver, and it's a, a. I mean, it's it's been a phenomenal success story. Resmed, I think, is the most successful indigenous Australian medical device company. Um, I was lucky enough to work for them as they acquired a previous company that uh, I haven't spoken about that we that got me into sleep. Um, and uh, it's a tremendous company and it's done remarkable things during COVID and a massive, a massive fan. And indeed, Philips, you know, a remarkable company as well. So they dominate. And then you have Fisher Pickell and you have others. And then you have the dentist. So the dental piece is an interesting piece. And then you have some new companies. So in, in, a new company in Minneapolis, right? Inspire Medical, is doing what they call a hypoglossal nerve, uh, nerve stimulator. It's an implant that goes yeah, in. Yeah, I've heard about that. Yes. Yeah. And it essentially stimulates through, elect I understand, electrical pulse, uh, whether you have, a, you know, you can even control it with a remote control and essentially will, um, you know, clear the airway. And so they've, they've done a nice job as well. So. And they're public. They're actually publicly traded as well. They're quite an interesting company. So, but the, the the CPAP dominates. The dentists are coming up. You know, I think, for example, in you know, one of the advantages of being in a small company, we, we've got global reach. We see how the different markets react. So, for example, in the Netherlands, the first line of um, treatment is dental. So they won't they won't put you on CPAP unless you fail on dental, as my understanding. Yeah. So that's an interesting. So that's the well, thriving market for some of the dental players, uh, which uh, so we have one in California, which I like, uh, Prosomnus, um, doing that nice work there, and you have Somnimed and others. So it's an interesting area as well. Well, you bring up an interesting topic that, that some of the frontline people are dentists and orthodontists that are catching sleep apnea, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And so I guess when I had my test, they were so severe that kind of the moderate, because they say that the appliances, like a retainer that advances your jaw forward a little yeah. bit, um, is really for moderate. And so just to give people an example, this is what, you know, again, Karen, feel free to correct me with the, the latest stats. But, you know, back in 2014, I was told that, you know, the average person has five apneas a night. That's, that's an everyday person, not a person with a problem. When you start getting over that, like seven, nine, 10, you start getting into the, the moderate, the light to moderate, and then you kind of go up from there. Mine obviously was in the severe at 50, right? Um, so there's no, you know, no hiding that one. Um, so appliance was not even an option for me, right? Uh, and they really needed to advance my jaw. So, I mean, mine was super aggressive. And, and by the way, if you had asked me, would I do it again? Or, or sorry, would I recommend it to somebody? Um, that's a hard one to answer because my life has changed. I'm not using CPAP, but the recovery was brutal. <laughs> um, you know, it was probably a year until I felt 100% normal. I mean, 
it wow. really was. And I yeah. mean, I was back to work after three, most people, but most people wouldn't have that courage. They would just give me a CPAP. And but of course, the issue about CPAP we should mention is compliance. And that's yes. actually a really interesting topic in itself because there are millions of people out there in in the U.S. and hopefully people, some people even listening to the show here, who who are you know have been diagnosed with apnea who have a CPAP machine sitting beside their bed and are not using it or are underusing it. And that's, um, and the Resmin has done a tremendous job and Philips as well of bringing what they call health informatics, which is, you know, a fancy word for saying just data. Yeah. Uh, and essentially looking, and that was the world you came from, of course, uh, Ben with Qualcomm, but they, uh, they are looking at feeding this data back to the DMEs. So the yeah. DMEs, are looking and monitoring these patients. It's a, it's a remarkably synergistic. <laughs> but I but I know why though. I mean, like I know why I know why some people aren't compliant. Like things have changed, by the way, since I used it. But it used to be a pain to clean the thing. And by the way, you have to clean the thing, right? The hoses, the masks, and stuff like that. Now there's machines that you just you know plug it into and it, and it flushes water and cleans it out. I used to have to clean it with brushes and hang it up over my shower. I mean, like it was an ordeal, right? If you don't do that, you get bacteria, right? So then you're kind of defeating your purpose of staying healthy, right? So that's changed in the right direction. Uh, mass nasal, you know, navel, nasal ones have advanced and, and become more comfortable. Um, I remember yeah. one of the things I hated when I first started is you know, I, I wanted a tight fit, so you're clamping the, the mask down on you, but then you wake up, you've got an impression of a mask on your face and then, you know, around your hair. It was like, this is crazy, right? And <laughs> just also you can breathe well, right? Um, but I did it because I knew what's important. I think you have to, you know, when you're going through any medical treatment, you've got to go with, you know, this is worth it. It's worth it for me to be healthy for my family, for myself. Um, and so I, I took it seriously and I know there is a huge compliance problem, but uh, for those that uh, have stopped, I'd like them to go back and talk to their yeah. uh, clinician think, again about restarting. The, diff the difference is, Ben, you're right. The, 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 the main manufacturer have done a really nice job in improving the masks and the fitting. And particularly, I think Resma has done a phenomenal job there. From what I can tell, I mean, the, the, the silicon and what they're using now is, is just almost, you would, the, the days of having a mark in your face are well and truly over from what I, what I understand. But I think, you know, you talk about the health implications and um, I mean, I've had come across so many stories. My favorite one is a very successful businessman here in South Florida that I met just through, a, actually through somebody in the sleep industry who, um, who you know got diagnosed with apnea late and quite late in life, and this is the problem with apnea. A lot of people carry it for years and years, and they just don't yeah. do anything about it. Yeah. And his his story was, and I remember telling uh, telling the resident folks this. He would look. I always remember saying this. He would look forward to a red light when he was driving so he could doze. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of uh. so he, that was his. Th that was how bad he was. So he. Yeah. This is the one of the things we haven't mentioned is is the daytime sleepiness um, uh, symptoms. Well, the accidents, the accidents yeah. happen because of it, right? Yeah, People not being alert. Yeah, that's a. I mean, you have work issue, work uh, accidents. You have transportation, of course, is a major issue. I mean, the truck. I mean, that's something which 
is uh, you know is is a, is a big part of the industry, be it many truck drivers, but also of course um, yeah. pilots and things like that. Well, so, it's a, you know, Karen, you know, it's it's the uh, the attention span, right? So you're sleeping, you don't have the, you're not alert, right? And for me, I was drinking five, six, seven Coca Colas a day because I needed to stay awake. I actually wasn't a coffee drinker at the time. Um, and so I was, so I was putting on weight from all that sugar too, right? But I needed it. And for me, I didn't diagnose myself until my wife said something to go, because I was thinking I have small kids. I'm exhausted because I've got small kids, right? right? That was my rationale. I didn't realize it was a health problem. So I was, I had friends here one night and, and, uh, the wife said, what do you, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm in the diagnostic space, the family and they're like, I think Ron, my husband, I think he might have that. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, we sleep in separate rooms and he, he snores like a train and he's just, you know, he, he doesn't, he's pretty sleepy during the day. And he's, and he's, you know, I know Ron and he's, Ron is like 240 pounds or whatever. So I was like, Ron, no, would you, let me get you on this. I got one kind of from a friend of a friend sort of thing and gave it to him. And uh, I met him like a year later and he's like, just a different person. Like literally that was, that was the one, like, you know, I went from like a conversation at a, di at a, at a drinks to a seeing him a year later. And he was like, man, he said like, why didn't I get this 20 years ago? I know I didn't sleep or have dreams for years. And then when I went into the sleep apnea therapy, I started dreaming again. Like I knew yeah. I actually was getting yeah. some sleep. Yeah. Now, People, it, it wasn't like I was getting up and ready to do a marathon in any day, but I mean, it was, it was, it was very significant. And that's part of the reason why I was compliant too, is, you know, I felt the difference now, interestingly enough, and I'm not sure if I told you the story when we had met uh, at first, but the reason one of the, the byproducts, and it's almost like a God, godsend that I got diagnosed when I did is, uh, I was waiting on my CPAP to get delivered to me. And I was in Hawaii and I, so I'd been diagnosed. And I was waiting for the equipment to come. Approved through insurance and all that good stuff, and I'm, you know, taking a nap during the day with my, I think at the time she was two years old daughter, and we'd always joke she snores like an old man, um, and I'm laying next to her, and then, I'm, and I just went through this therapy about or diagnostic that I have sleep apnea, and then she's snoring, and I felt like she stopped breathing, and so and it started, and I'm like, oh. Gosh, to go to my wife i'm like we when we get home she's going to the doctor and sure enough went to the doctor and she had her tonsils i guess they rate them one to four hers were four blockage like blocking her throat essentially yeah. so she took she had her tonsils taken out um and they didn't have to do the adenoids um but they took her tonsils out and then all of a sudden she was like i remember the first night i, I went over and i was like i did put my hand on her stomach because she was so quiet. I was wanting to make sure she was still breathing. Um, and, but through that process with the pediatrician and, and talking with him, he was like, you know, had, you know, yes, she'll eventually grow, but had you had not done this, she would have, you know, had probably behavioral issues, poor sleep, you know, which leads to all kinds of other health conditions and behavioral conditions. Like this is the right move. Right, and it's yeah. been amazing. That's a, that's uh, you've got my goodness. You, uh, you've been you've you've had it from all angles. You've you've had CPAP. Yeah, yeah. I, so that's why I mean that's why I, I guess I 
Uh, and I went on a campaign and soon as uh, I mean, I posted a Facebook letting people know my progress and what I was doing and, and, and encouraging them to get tests. If you snore, if your husband snores, your wife snores, go, you know, go make it happen, right? Go get that test and just, put, you know, for peace of mind, if anything else, right? Because it's so, so important, right? And for me, what drove me was these, I mean, I don't want all your early onset of, of Alzheimer's. I want some energy during the day, right? I mean. Like, so it was important to me, um, I, and I think, and I'm so happy you, you decided to join us today because, you know, the diagnostics, the, the diagnostic side of it, uh, diagnostic side, sorry, a little tongue tied, is so important. The ease of it, so people will do it. And yeah, that's. That test done. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's, and actually, I just want to mention one other thing. Um, National Geographic just this week have a fantastic um, and. I hasten out a rather expensive magazine. I think it's. I don't think I've ever paid sixteen dollars for a magazine, but anyway, I did because it's all it's all on sleep. And I have to say, it's it's a fantastic. Um, it's well worth a read. But yes, I think one of our missions and the mission of the founders is to really take away the mystery of diagnosis. To say, look, you know, people. For, for example, people are afraid of that they have to go to a lab. Then they're afraid they'll have one bad night's sleep with the even a, a very you know home sleep test device and then they look at our device and sit and early indications from our from the market that we're seeing with real tests coming in from real people is that a typical home sleep test device will get three to four hours of good data a night we're getting six because it's, it's so unobtrusive the only discomfort you might have is if you fasten it too tight you might get that throbbing feeling that you get you know if you if you if you stop the blood flow to a finger so we always we're very sensitive about that but that's and again, because we've multi-night, we're going to get the good data anyway. So, and nothing, and nothing is. is now, I, I actually came from a previous world where we did it through radar, and there was no contact. But, on, but that technology is, is not reimbursed, and because, and that's other reasons for that. But where there's, yeah. you know, contactless technology. But this is, this is, so this, this is the, the, the next best thing. I, I, the what, what I call it is, it's, a, it's an emerging space where you have. Kind of between wearables and medical device, and this is the future, I think, because this is, and we're right in the, in the, at the beginning, beginning of this, uh, probably, because we're using all that, as I mentioned in my introduction, all that, uh, you know, modern technology that's been built up over the years. I mean, I remember I was in the, I was in, when I worked for a Unilever spinner, we developed, you know, I would say the first Fitbit or the second Fitbit, maybe, type product. We didn't know it was, we didn't, Fitbit hadn't even been invented. The biggest problem was Bluetooth. We couldn't, Bluetooth was breaking down. There was no smartphone. You had to go to your computer. So yeah. all that stuff is gone. And now you, and so we've exploited that and said, okay, look, let's make this as easy and affordable as possible. And let's take that test if you're snoring, take the therapy because it could change your life and it could, you know, it could make you a better person, a healthier person. A better person is as it be more more awake, more engaged, um, you know, fitter, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there's lots of tremendous benefits from a good night's sleep, and we think we can help in that mission. Yeah, I think you guys can. You know, one other thing we were, we were talking, you talked about, you mentioned truck drivers earlier, transportation, right? And sleep apnea being, um, you know, the over obesity does uh, have a hand in, um, yes. you know, in sleep apnea. 
or OSA, which is, which is interesting because it's a perpetual cycle because you get less sleep and your, 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 your hunger is more and you use more sugary drinks to keep yourself awake, right? So this is this vicious circle. And then the nice comorbidity or something that, you know, for, for the layman, which is something that is typically present or something else, some other health condition that's present is diabetes, right? Yeah. So you find diabetes and sleep apnea kind of go hand in hand, unfortunately, right? Which, um, which is terrible. Um, and so it's this really, you, you start with one and you've got a rash of other things like diabetes and hypertension, the two most common uh, comorbidities to, to sleep apnea. Um, again, I encourage anybody that thinks they have it or their family member to go get tested. I, and you know, possibly use the, the night owl to, to do it. I look at it pretty simply. I think if something is causing stress, and the, it, the stress of the body, right? Be it, I mean, if you're carrying around an extra 30 pounds, clearly, you know, common sense would say there's some stress there and you're certainly in your joints, your heart, etc. If your breathing has been interrupted 60 times an hour, like once a minute, you're not breathing for perhaps 10 seconds, at a, at a even at a microvascular level, getting that oxygen into your, you know, right into the tissues, that's, there's lots of research around potential damage that's happening at a, at a, at a, at a, at a vascular level, never mind, uh, you know, the other more obvious links, such as uh, hypertension and, and, and diabetes. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great mission. It's, it, the technology is, is there and uh, we're really, really in a great spot. And, you know, it's, it's great to be able to talk about it. And, 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 and I think, as I said, this is the beginning of, a. I think, the third evolution in this whole diagnostic uh, pathway where we're really getting down to the point where, you know, you should be able to, you know, essentially get di get diagnosed relatively easy with few barriers, um, find out if you have this condition and get, get treated. Well, Karen, thanks so much for sharing your expertise uh, with us. Um, it's great to get insights from somebody that really knows sleep. Um, and hopefully we'll all get a good night's sleep tonight. Um, but thanks again for joining the podcast. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ben. Thank you, Jim. I really, really enjoyed the chat. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I do have, do you got to run? Anybody got to jump? No, well, I'm I, good. I, cause I have one. Yeah. Okay. No, I just, I wanted to get your thoughts. So the, the, you know, what we've kind of been talking about is you you grab some data over a certain period of time and then that's how the diagnosis is accomplished and then um you know assuming there's a therapeutic or a treatment and you know ben had an extreme uh you know where you have to have surgery and um but it worked for him and then there's you know there's more subtle um, there's there's probably you know uh, pharmaceutical treatments. There's probably exercise or, but there there are some new things coming in like meditation. Um, there's you know if if you look online, you know sleep is such a mystery. I think, and it's it's always been kind of one of those things. Um, and I was reading about Doctor Dement. Um, you know that. There has been science, but there's also a lot of, uh, yeah, mystery. I mean, things like studying dreams and studying, you know, how you fall asleep, you know, what happens while you're asleep. 
lot of these things are really hard to understand. And, you know, what kind of consciousness are you going in and out of? You know, Karen, you mentioned the, the stages of sleep. Uh, so there is, there, there's a lot going on there. Um, what do you think about the, let's call it the more, uh, the non-scientific treatments, the, um, you know, like, like a meditation or, or maybe a pharmaceutical or something like that? Is, are, are there other things that are worth looking at from your view? You know, diet, does diet play a big role in sleep or, um, you know, exercise, some, some of the traditional ways of thinking about uh, healthcare. And, you know, can you, can you head some of these things off? Like, you know, there, there are some commonalities, maybe over, you know, being overweight, could be one of them, maybe diabetes, you know, I'm just throwing some things out there um, hypothetically. Are there things you can do to avoid getting in? You know, I know Ben, he's, he was a pretty healthy guy, so that kind of surprises me um, at such a young age. What's the... I think there's some, yeah. there's some sort of, I think there's some congenital issues, for example, there are some thin people who are born with you know, very narrow upper airway there's, there are people like with jaw issues, perhaps like Ben, for example, where they're just not getting that air through. There's tonsils for kids. There are things that are, shall we say, inescapably just biological. And then there's sort of the lifestyle side of things, which is, you know, you know pulmonologists or sleep physicians will tell you as soon as you sit down, as soon as the patient sits down in front of them, they can pretty much predict just on based on the phenotype whether the person is um, apneic or not. You know, they're looking at the neck size, is it more than 17 inches for a man, for example. They're looking at their weight, and then they ask like three questions. And pretty much the, the likelihood of being positive is like 90%, it's, it's, it's crazy. So, and so then you ask the question, well, those that are lifestyle determined, what can those people do? And I mean, weight comes into. I mean, look, weight came into the has come into the COVID uh, crisis. You know, with um, sadly, with uh, people carrying weight, were more likely to suffer more serious consequences. So, uh, you know, obesity is a massive issue, and obesity and the whole weight around the neck air, uh, thing is a is a big determinant because it closes that airway, and that get that gagging, choking is more likely to happen. So, but we all know that losing weight is is one of the toughest things for Western society to, to overcome and uh, for sure. so many temptations with the you know whether it's fast food or whether it's inactivity and things like that. So I, I'm definitely of the belief that you can avoid. I mean, I would take the view if you, unless you have the, some kind of an issue, if you can, if you if you if you're basically avoiding high, if you're trying to avoid cardiovascular disease, hypertension, blood pressure. You're, avoid, you're going to avoid apnea because you're going to be probably pretty active and you're going to be sleeping reasonably well. That's my basic kind of rule of life. But having said that, of course, as you get older, these things get trickier. I mean, I'm finding that myself, not sleeping as well as I did, you know, 10 years ago. It's just, it's just a fact of life. I, don't, I could be exhausted and I could, I wake up at 3.30 and I'm like, I'm ready to get up. Um, it's kind of annoying, but uh, that's, you know, your body's starting to play tricks on you. So, but Yes, I think there are preventive measures to answer your question, but they only apply to those that are lifestyle governed, of course. And we should all be taking them for diabetes, for everything else, indeed included. Uh, that makes that makes sense. Um, 
you know, you, you, you mentioned you, are you from Belgium? And I noticed the company's based there. So are, are you working out of Belgium or where do you work out of? So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually from Ireland myself, um, but uh, the company's based uh, in a beautiful town outside Brussels. I can highly recommend it called Leuven, uh, sometimes called Louvain in French, but it's in the Dutch speaking part of Belgium. And they have an ancient university that goes back to the 1500s called uh, KUL, Katholische University of Leuven. And you know it's old when you walk through the streets and you see a, a sculpture to Erasmus who, was a, who, who studied there. So um, it's a remarkable place and a lot of very good engineering and very good ecosystem for developing startups. It's, it's a beautiful spot. But I've been in the US uh, for 15 years. I moved over from Ireland. and. Before COVID, I was pretty much in half the time in Belgium, half the time in, oh, sorry, a third the time in Belgium, a third time in the air between other places and the third time here. Um, but with COVID, I've been working from home and haven't seen the office guys since November, actually. So it's been, you know, for a startup, it's been, that's quite a challenge, but it's, it's been remarkably fortunate because in one sense, because we got the FDA in March, Wow. And, uh, just in, in just, the nick of time. Yeah, yeah. No, literally a week before COVID. Uh, when I said when COVID was there, but the week before we went into lockdown, and uh, I needed I need to be here anyway because uh, it's uh, you know the business. This is where everybody wants to to crack it, and this is where the you know the, the investors want to see the return, and this is where the excitement is. So it's I mean I, I'm in a really it's worked out really well. Like. Even if I could get back to Belgium, I probably wouldn't because it's just too much going on. So I'm very, very lucky and I appreciate that. I don't want to sound too arrogant because there's a lot of um, pain out there, but it's just, you know, we're in the respiratory business and we're in the disposable side of it. So it's, there's a lot of interest in what we're doing. So um, we have to we have to make, you know, make sure that we meet the demand and things like that. Well, hopefully we'll get travel back to Norm and we can go visit uh, those faraway places. Um, yeah, I, my, I actually have family from Belgium and France, and I spent a, oh, I spent yeah. a lot of my uh, career in Switzerland, so I was I lived there 17, 18 years. So um, my wife wow. is Swiss. Yeah. So yeah, we used to we used to go to Antwerp and some places just for fun and travel around. So yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to being able to get back. Uh, you know, it's so, tricky. So, but, uh, yeah, right now, no, no chance. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, any any I mean, questions? No, for me, um, just on the recording part, the only thing I made, I made a mistake, and um, I wouldn't if we can. I, I said when I was talking about apnea, I got confused for a second. I spoke about apnea events per minute, and I meant to say per hour. So uh, that would not look good if that was. So if you can just if you can edit that out. Um, I I'll look. Decided. I'll look for it. But you, I think you corrected yourself in the in the same sentence, pretty much. But I'll check. I'll check it out. If it's if it really would leave a a question in someone's mind, I'll just try to cut it out. Yeah, okay. that's fine. That's fine. But otherwise, I thought. It, I, I mean, from my point of view, I thought it went well. I hope you guys thought so too. Yeah. No, it was great. So um, it was great to meet you, and I, I learned a lot. And. It was a fun discussion. Um, ben, thanks for arranging this. And, uh, you know, we'd love to have you back again. It was great discussion. And, um, yeah, once it gets posted, we'll send you an email 
with the link and the the podcast it it's it goes across seven or eight different uh, podcast platforms. So it's on you know iTunes and Google and um, Spotify and a bunch you know all all the, all the big ones. So it's available pretty much. Well, let me everywhere. Well, thank you, Jim. Only one thing: you sometimes you did break a little bit. Just in, I, I think you, you you may not have known it from your side, but there was a little bit of uh, staccato coming through. So you might be disappointed yes. in that a little bit when you go to listen to it. But um, apart from that, uh, I want to thank uh, Ben. Thanks for you know, reaching out. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. It was very nice reconnecting with you. And maybe separately, we could have a quick chat to catch up what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Karen, for jumping on and yeah i'll, I'll give you a, I'll, I'll see you a time just, uh, yeah we'd love to very nice meeting you jim thanks again thanks Thank again so okay cheers bye guys Like a holiday